Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for jumping on board and on the line with me, I welcome back Bill Brown, the Astros broadcaster emeritus. How do you like that title, Brownie? Does that work? Well, that, that's a promotion. Thank you, Robert. That's very nice. <laughs> now, I know you saw Brooks and Dunn at the rodeo last week. Now, this wasn't Brooks Robinson and Adam Dunn, right? <laughs> I know you don't think I can distinguish, you know, but I do like I, I like old country music, and they put on quite a show. They really did. Yeah, my sister was there. They said they'd still get it done, and they're like around 65 or something like that. Yeah, a lot of energy. Um, I think the audience was just thrilled. 71,000 people. It was an electric uh, charge-type atmosphere, and uh, I hadn't been to the rodeo in more than 20 years, so that was a good night for us. Oh, that's cool. And yeah, I, I, I went to go to the, to, I went to the rodeo mo- the Monday before Brooks and Dunn and actually Casey Musgraves sang neon moon. Ah, yeah. Um, let's get, to, let's get the Astros and they, they've had an interesting off season. They added Michael Brantley, Robinson Chirinos, Wade Miley, and Aledmus Diaz barring something unforeseen. They've lost Keuchel. Uh, Tony Sipp, Brian McCann, Evan Gaddis, Charlie Morton, and Marwin Gonzalez. I think that's the whole list. Brownie, uh, what did you think of their offseason? And can you lose that many good beards and still win a championship? <laughs> I hadn't thought of it in terms of the follicle count, but um, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, actually, to, to get, get serious, though, about it, um, I think that they could use Keuchel in the rotation now, certainly, but uh, I believe that train has long since gone. Uh, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them pick up another starting pitcher. Uh, there are still a few of them out there. I'm not a big Gio Gonzalez fan, but there might be something that would happen. I think probably, Robert, it seems to me that what Jeff Luno has decided to do is just kind of punt for now and wait until June or July uh, and get a, a much better fix on what kind of team this is and what the component parts might be that could be missing for winning a World Series and try to acquire that at that time. You've seen Michael Brantley over the years. What do you remember about the times that you've watched him play? Just a very tough out. And I think, uh, you know, I was looking at the list of uh, hitters who would be available as free agents when they, uh, it was apparent that they would lose Marwin, and I thought Brantley was the perfect fit. I don't know that they could have done much better. You knew they weren't, weren't going to get Harper or Machado or anything like that, but um, to me, Brantley is just perfect for this team because of the fact that they desperately needed a left-handed hitter, and he is a high-contact hitter, really knows the strike zone, extremely disciplined. You know, they had... A lot more strikeouts last year than the year before. And a lot of it was, quite frankly, because the players didn't have as good a years other than Alex Bregman and Guriel had a good year. But there were a lot of guys who fell off. And I think that uh, some of the at-bats were not very good last year. I think some people were pressing. Um, and I think Brantley is just perfect for this lineup. They, they just, you know, with Reddick not producing last year, they really need another left-handed hitter who can step up and come through in the clutch. Now, I hate to put you on the spot, but have you put together your opening day lineup yet? Who would Brownie have in there? I mean, you, you got to figure out who your DH is, who, who would you put there and, and where does Brantley fit in? Should Hinch break up that 
big four do you think at the top to fit him in somewhere since he is a lefty? That's the real question. Okay, so opening day, I'm assuming lefty Blake Snell is on the mound, which makes it a little different. But Tyler White's the DH for me. And I think Brantley hits, you know, Springer leads off as always. I'm, I'm toying in my mind about Altuve hitting second. Uh, we'll see. I think that Bregman needs to hit third if you're going there, and that would make Brantley the number four hitter. And then maybe Guriel and White and on down the line. But no, you, you miss Correa, though. Where do you put him? Oh, yeah, I did miss Correa. My gosh, I don't know. That's a real problem. And see, that that shows you that this team should be really good at scoring runs. So, I would, you know, Correa's thumping the ball right now. Um, I would want him in the middle of the lineup somewhere. And so maybe, you know, I hate to put Brantley in the three spot because I think Bregman deserves that. But um, maybe put Brantley fourth and Correa fifth. I think that would work. Interesting. Yeah. I'm interested to see what what, uh, Hinch is going to do with this, Uh, especially you said it on opening day. It's going to be totally different maybe because it's the lefty on the mound. But, you know, I could even foresee him maybe in the two spot. Maybe you put Brantley in the two spot. I don't, I don't know. I think you can. I think you can. Um, and especially maybe against a tough lefty like Snell, you might want that um, because I think he's going to make some contact. Uh, but as far as slugging, that would be more difficult against a Snell. Uh, but against a right-handed pitcher, I think Brantley's got to hit, you know, three, four, five, somewhere in there. Any concern over starting pitching at the four and five spots? We talked about the loss of Keuchel and, and Charlie Morton. You've got McHugh who's dealing with a sore back, Josh James now out of the mix with the quad, Fromber Valdez, just a few starts. And the worst news of all, Brad Peacock learned to change up by watching Trevor Hoffman on Twitter. I mean, Brownie, <laughs> what does Trevor Hoffman know about change-ups? I mean, come on. <laughs> I think he'd be he'd be the master <laughs> as far as learning from someone. Yeah, that would be a good place to start. But, um, yeah, I, I would have some mild concerns about the rest of the rotation. I would especially if uh, McHugh uh, for some reason isn't able to do what he did when he was a starter. Um, And I think, you know, Miley was great last year in in a half a season when he wasn't injured. If he can continue that, then that would alleviate concerns. But I really think what you're going to find is come June or July is that don't be surprised if you're looking at Forrest Whitley's in the rotation. Don't be too surprised if maybe another guy like uh, Corbin Martin finds his way into the rotation at some point later on in the season. Um, but, you know, pending the health of the starters, that would be really uh, the caveat here in this situation, I think. It looks like it's Fromber or Peacock for that fifth spot. And I, I guess I would, I was going to lean over the offseason towards Fromber because he gives you the, the lefty uh, look, but also uh, if anything goes wrong, you've got Peacock there. You know, you can move him back into the starting rotation, but maybe you want to go with the veterans at this point because maybe you're just expecting, you know, the guys like Forrest Whitley or Corbin Martin or one of those guys to come up later in the year anyway. I, I don't know. How, how do you see that? The way I see it uh, in this early part of spring training is that Fromber is not throwing enough strikes to be the number five man in the rotation. And for me, Peacock would be that guy as of right now, if the season opened. And of course, a lot of things will change, but I would send Fromber back for more seasoning and for more strike zone work. How comfortable are you with uh, Roberta Osuna as a closer? I mean, on the Astros sliding scale, 
if 1999 Billy Wagner is a 10 and Ken Giles is a four, where's Osuda? And, and Brownie, I, I know you, and I'm anxious to see how you slip out of this diplomatically. <laughs> I would put him at an eight or a nine. I think he is um, fantastic at throwing strikes. He can do that with different pitches. Uh, he And the thing, as you know, it's a tightrope with so many of these closers, even the best ones today. It's an absolute tightrope. And Osuna will get hit from time to time, but he'll have a lot of quick one, two, three innings too, uh, because he's in the strike zone. He's not dodging around a whole lot. So I think the fact that he could throw maybe eight or 10 pitches and get a save and then be fresh for the next night could be a key for this team. Angels made a lot of good moves uh, over the offseason. The the Mariners seem to be kind of punting on things. The A's were great last year. Uh, looking over that AL West, Rangers, I don't know if they're really in the mix at this point, but do you think the Angels uh, can, can make this interesting? And, and can the A's do it again? Do they have enough to, to get this done again and, and pull off another great season? I don't think the A's do. Uh, I'm kind of looking at the Angels as a team uh, with Osmus taking over and kind of changing the tone. Uh, it all always comes down to pitching for them. Their starting pitchers are almost always hurt. Uh, they do have some different guys in the mix this year. If they can pitch and stay healthy, then, yeah, I think they could be a surprise team. But I really don't see any team other than the Astros being much above 500 this year. Anything that you've seen or heard from watching spring training or listening to the reports that has got you excited or interested or just anything that's on your mind after the first week or two down there? Well, I think one thing we can see, Robert, is that, that Jeff Luno uh, probably was very wise in not parting with a Forrest Whitley, with a Kyle Tucker, who I think is going to get it. He's going to be good, but he needs more time. Um, with these other prospects, I really like Jordan Alvarez. I think Alvarez is probably not too far from being able to help this club. And there again would be another left-handed hitter if uh, they're able to get him to the big leagues. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it happened at some point this year. He really covers the strike zone well, hits the ball hard to left field as a left-handed hitter. I think he's extremely impressive. Um, So I think by Jeff holding on to these prospects, we're now seeing in these spring training games exactly why he did that. And sure, it would have been great to have a Real Muto, but I think the expense was way too high. If you believed the reports that the Marlins had to have, you know, Whitley and Tucker, then he certainly did the right thing in not dealing. I want to ask you about a couple of important passings over the offseason. I'm too young to remember Frank Robinson, the player. What memories do you have of, of Robbie? Very tough physically. He was hit by pitches constantly, and he just stayed right in and hit the ball hard. Um, Big-time home run, an RBI hitter. Uh, and he, he was a tough physical man. Alan Ashby told the story about when Frank was a player manager with Cleveland and Allen was on the team and they went to play their triple a club. And there was a pitcher that Robbie had sent down to the minor leagues who was pitching against him that night. And this pitcher was very perturbed that he wasn't on the big league club. And they wound up <laughs> duking it out on the mound. After Robinson hit a ball, they threw him out. He went right for the mound and they had it out with each other. Oh so, my goodness. Uh, yeah, that kind of speaks to how competitive and how determined he was. Um, but, you know, I knew him a little bit, um, just just a casual 
word here and there, but I, I know that uh, he had his difficulties with people. Uh, several people felt his knuckles, shall we say, during his lifetime. There was a weird game I was reading about. You remember this game where he, when he was managing against the Astros, there was a pitcher that just was giving up one steal after another, and and he did a double switch. It was kind of a, a weird double switch, and, and not usual, I guess, at the time in the middle of the game. Yeah, it was the catcher. Uh, the catcher couldn't throw anybody out, and he got him out of the game. He went to the mound not to change pitchers, but to change catchers. Oh, wow. And and he was just – he was actually so emotionally distraught uh, after the game in his press conference by having to embarrass this catcher by removing him from the game that he, he was in tears. Um, that's a terrible thing to do. You know, you just don't want to destroy a guy's career. But um, for trying to win a game, that's what he had to do. He made the right move. And it's difficult – issue but um i think that showed the opposite side of what we've been talking about on frank robinson that he really did care about his players all right in late november president george hw bush passed away he wrote the forward brownie to your book houston astros deep in the heart you and i visited his office here in houston a couple of years ago and i saw on social media that among other things you met up with the train that was part of his final procession here in houston what do you remember, I guess, first about that day? And what do you think of when you think of the president? Well, I think of um, somebody who was a very good president and really cared about people. And I've known a couple of people. I did not ever have the pleasure of meeting him, but I've known people who have worked for him. And um, I, I will tell you a story about uh, one time he lost a Senate campaign here. And one of his staffers was his uh, campaign manager. And uh, early the next morning after the loss, uh, Mr. Bush came down to the office and uh, he was he, no, he was already in the office when the staffer came in. He was already working. And the staffer said, well, what are you doing here so early? Uh, there's no work to be done. He said, oh, yeah, there is. I have to find you guys jobs. And um, I think that speaks to his character uh, probably about as much as anything I've heard about him, that it wasn't about him. And he was just really concerned about people. So just a, a very, very decent man. And I had a chance to be invited to go to Ellington Field um, when the plane came in. And uh, the Astros had a, had a small contingent who were invited. And uh, I can tell you, I just I had my camera there and I thought, well, this is this is history. I want to take some shots of this. Uh, and I was uh, not really invited to be with the media, but I and I didn't have a pass, but I just sort of horned in and walked up the steps to um, there were some bleachers where the media people were uh, taking pictures of the whole proceedings, uh, TV camera people, still camera. And I can just tell you that uh, for an hour while that plane landed and taxied and the casket was unloaded and put into the hearse, there was not a sound. Nobody spoke a word. And for you to be around a media gathering, even, even covering an event, uh, with complete silence. That is a memorable happening. And then, of course, w with the train, that was something that uh, we have toured the Bush Library uh, all three or four times in College Station. And we have heard the story of how he had made arrangements to, to be uh, on a train to take him to the library when everything was said and done. And so I anticipated this and I had thought, you know, years ago, gee, that'd be that'd be neat to come out and see this. And then here it is unfolding. So I drove out to Magnolia because I had read that that was a good place to get pictures of the train and it wasn't going to be too congested there. 
And again, it was it was just one of those reverent experiences where people just, you know, they turned out, they were they were waiting, they were in their folding chairs, they got their hours ahead of time, and uh, then the, the train actually did slow down coming through Magnolia. It didn't slow down at some of the other stops, but um, out of respect for, for the public, uh, you know, and the family, of course, was waving to people through the windows of the train, so... Just a very moving experience, um, and we, we want to go up to the library, too, with the grandkids when they come in in another month or so to uh, just give them a sense of of what his presidency was all about. But I, I wish I had met him, <laughs> but, you know, not everybody was that fortunate. You never met Barbara in, in all the time she was at the games? No, never did. Never did. You know, they got there so late. We were always upstairs getting ready to go on the air and that kind of thing, and it just never did happen that we met them. Wow. Um, another person that you had a lot of uh, contact, well, a, a, lot, a lot of connection with, was uh, Marty Brenneman, 45 years, the voice of the Reds. He announced over the offseason that uh, he'll retire after this year. For those people out there that might not remember, you were on the Reds broadcast team in the early days, right? Like right out, a couple of years after he started. Right. I was doing TV and he arrived. Um, you know, Al Michaels was there before him. And uh, then Marty was hired when Al went to San Francisco. <laughs> a funny story, which you may have read. Marty's first ever broadcast in the big leagues. He's at spring training. And the Reds at that time trained in Tampa at Al Lopez Field. And Al Lopez was a Hall of Fame catcher who was from Tampa. So <laughs> Marty came on the air and said, you know, all this hullabaloo all winter long about, oh, you're replacing Al Michaels is a big star, you know, and you're coming from AAA Tidewater is there pressure, you know, so he'd answered all these questions. <laughs> I heard the interview with him uh, afterwards. <laughs> he was talking about how um, he, he was really, he was quite nervous, uh, but the first game was on the road and he handled that one really well. No mistakes at all. Now it's the home opener. And he's already done one game, so he's got the butterflies all worked out. So he's not nervous at all for the opener for Mal Lopez Field. And the first thing he said, hi, everybody. This is Marty Brenneman from Al Michaels Field in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> 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 no, but a great broadcaster. Uh, you know, he's won the Ford Frick Award many years ago. His son, Tom may win it someday himself. And uh, I'll say this about Marty. He has never shied away from criticizing players. Never. He's one of the most aggressive broadcasters in terms of letting the listener know exactly what he thought a player should have done and where he failed. And I've seen him standing toe to toe with guys around the batting cage and he did not budge when the guy got on him for criticizing him. Um, that was Marty's style and he never changed it. I was about to ask, is that what made him such a special guy to, to the Reds nation and to that fan base? I think he did. I don't think they had had that type of broadcaster before. Joe Nuxall was not that way at all. Uh, but they were a great pair together. And um, I think that did endear him to Reds fans. Uh, because, you know, believe it or not, <laughs> not a compliment. But people would tell me when I was doing TV, well, we turn the sound down and listen to radio. <laughs> it's just it's it's an old-fashioned area, and people would go out on the back porch in the summertime, and they'd have a TV on, but they, they grew up listening to radio, and they wanted to keep listening to radio. So that was a compliment to Marty, but not to me. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Outside of baseball, what's the coolest thing you've had a chance to see or do that maybe you wouldn't have uh, in the last couple of years if you were still calling the games? Well, the thing is now that we have the freedom to uh, go on vacations in the summer, which we never did. So we went to Banff in Canada uh, last year, which was fantastic, just to, you know, go on a helicopter ride with the camera up over the mountains and look down and get some shots. That's uh, that's a thrilling opportunity. And, you know, um, we're going to go to Wyoming this year. So we, we are planning to make use of this summertime that we now have that we didn't have for all those years. You spent some time in Minnesota, I believe. Do you have any suggestions for Marwin? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know Marwin. Every time I remember it being 30 degrees or maybe a little bit warmer, Marwin has had a ski cap uh, mask on. So I uh, recommend that Marwin get about six or seven of those this year because right now our, our family lives up there, our daughter and three grandkids and our son-in-law and it's uh, I think 24 below right now I doubt if Marwin wants to hear that at this moment <laughs> yeah my, my uncle lives in Minnesota and and my I got a picture the other day I couldn't even see his house the snow was so high <laughs> yeah that's right that's right <laughs> yeah Oh, man. Well, we're looking forward to the baseball season and uh, just a, always fun to catch up with you. Always good to hear your voice because that just reminds all of us that uh, the Astros are just around the corner, too. Well, thanks. I'm excited about it, Robert, and look forward to seeing you at the ballpark soon. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. When you get the chance and tell your friends about us, spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hey there, I'm Max Friedman. And I'm Eli Blackwitz. We're hosts of Tackling the Texans, brought to you by the Pulse Podcast Network. If you love the Houston Sports Talk podcast, then you should go ahead and listen to our weekly podcast where we talk about everything exciting around the NFL and what it means for Houston. We keep you updated on all things Texans with interesting debates and hot takes, making sure to bring on NFL experts from around the industry to keep you connected. Subscribe to Tackling the Texans on Apple Podcasts or give us a listen on any available platforms.